millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jen Duduchu, and this time round, we're doing Boardwalk Empire, which is a TV show made from about 2011 to 2015, set in the 1920s, which means I am going to be focusing Almost, this isn't one of the clever ones going, and it goes back all the way to ancient Egypt. Although, uh, actually, I will be making a passing reference to ancient Egypt, but in the context of the 1920s. So, yes, we'll be talking about the 1920s a lot, but also a little bit about the problem of modern day brilliant TV out there. And I'm going to say, well, for my wife, she believes that if you're looking at the top five greatest TV shows of all time, as in ongoing series rather than like one-off miniseries or things like that, then Boardwalk Empire is probably number two, number three out of five out of all of the amazing TV out there. And I might argue a little bit about where to position it, but I would agree probably, yeah, top five. And yet you might never have seen it. You might have only vaguely heard of it. You can buy it right now on Blu-ray, DVD, you can stream it. If you've got HBO, you can get it for free. But it's one of these things where it isn't really in the common conversation and really should be because it is genuinely that good. So, as I've just said, it's a TV series. It's set in the 1920s. And to give you an idea, the creators behind it also created The Sopranos. I'm serious. No, serious is what happens if you don't pay. By my hand. Now, I mentioned this before, but I will say it again. The Sopranos really is the starting point, and it started in the very late 1990s, of the golden age of TV. And when you first started watching The Sopranos, it wasn't like anything else that was on TV. It was created by HBO, as was Boardwalk Empire. And it was a story of modern day mafia, not in New York, but actually in New Jersey and perhaps not not quite so salubrious. But it was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. It was full-blooded and adult in every sense of that phrase. It was something the graphicness of the adult content and the violence would have been something that you might see in something like Goodfellas. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And there's a surprising amount of people from Goodfellas in The Sopranos. So fast forwarding eight, nine years, the basic pitch for Boardwalk Empire was simply... 
the Sopranos in spats. And that's all you really need to know. We are back in the 1920s in the classical gangster era, even predating what you see in the first Godfather, which is set just after World War II. This is the 1920s. A number of the characters are veterans of World War I, and they're still very much in their prime. And so as soon as I heard it, it's like, well, yeah, of course. I can't think of the first time I seen a TV series about prohibition. No, I'm not talking about documentaries. I'm talking about drama. Of course, this is the Tommy Gun era. This is the Roaring Twenties. This is the period of Al Capone and prohibition. Al Capone. Yes, I want to see that show. And this is one of these situations where it really doesn't disappoint. Everything you could hope for from a TV show, it delivers and more. And of course, it tells you a lot about history too. They really, really pay attention to the history. Now, before I become a sort of gushing fanboy about this, I'm going to point out two fundamental flaws in the series. Number one is a personal opinion, and that is the theme tune. And I get that you aren't obliged to do contemporary music. It doesn't have to be jazz, for example. It can be anything you want. Well, in which case, if you're going to do it modern, don't do somebody aimlessly noodling on an electric guitar. It's not catchy. I can't hum it to you. The other thing is that basically the opening visuals are all the central character, Nucky Thompson. The story is of Nucky Thompson, Enoch Thompson, and he is running prohibition-y type stuff, illegal alcohol in Atlantic City in New Jersey. Let's get something straight. Nucky Thompson doesn't run this city. I do. And so what do we see? We see him surrounded by bottles on a beach, basically, with electric guitar playing. And it is one of the most forgettable openings for a TV show ever. It really does disguise what's about to come and hit you between the eyes. So, yeah, that was half-hearted. What was that all about? It should have been much better. Considering how original everything else is, that isn't very original. It's also rather literal. The other thing is, it's one of these things, and at the moment I'm actually writing a book about how Hollywood, the movies rather than TV, have dealt with history. And the thing is, if you think about something like Cleopatra, for example, a lot of money was spent on those sets. So they're all gleaming, which is appropriate for a palace of Cleopatra's, less so if we're just looking at the streaks of Rome or indeed Alexandria. Because, yeah, I mean, they're just everyday thoroughfares. They would have been covered in horse muck. Bernard! I hate Bernard! And just dirt and grime and, and poverty and things like that. Indeed, in Pompeii, we know that there was graffiti on walls. The thing about Boardwalk Empire is there is a lot of shots where you can see the ceiling. Why? Because it's proving to you that they've actually found a place that is era appropriate. This is not filmed in a studio. They're actually on location in some hundred year old home or something like that. But everything is perfectly lit and there isn't a piece of lint to be seen. Everything, even if it's a poor person's home, is gleaming. It's the very best it could possibly be. And so, yeah, there, there is certain, I mean, again, it's appropriate if we're in the boardroom and people are sort of sitting there smoking their cigars and talking about the big deals. And yeah, you would have had basically servants to clean it all up after you. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit too clean, a, bit, a little bit too crisp. But there we go. Those are my two gripes. Now let's talk about all the good stuff. So the thing is, as I've said, the, the central character is a guy called Enoch Thompson. But there was a real guy at this time who was the treasurer for Atlantic City. 
who was completely corrupt, called Enoch Johnson. Oh, okay, I see what you did there. But they deliberately changed the surname to allow them to do anything they wanted to with their version of this man. The real man lived into the 1960s. The real man did seem to be pretty corrupt and did seem to help out in prohibition, did seem to take bribes and things like that, and was a Republican. But he didn't actually kill people, didn't order the execution of anybody. A critical point, which I'll come on to later, is he was Protestant, not Catholic Irish which is fairly important plot point, uh, particularly in season two. What they did was they took the idea of the guy, but made it just different enough and indeed changed the surname enough so that they could push it into any direction they wanted to. Once you know that, things like his sort of love interest, a woman called Margaret Sch Schroeder, she's completely fictional. But the people that they're interacting with, people like, for example, Al Capone. Yeah, there's Al Capone in it. You and me sit down and we talk about who dies. And it's not far off what he was doing in the early 1920s. There's Lucky Luciano, who's again a man who started his gangster career in the 20s and moved up from there. Eamon Roth as well. One of the interesting things is it shows you in the 1920s, when we talk about gangsters and we talk about prohibition and all these sort of shootouts and things like that, we tend to think of Italians because over the 20th century, the organization of organized crime in America became more and more Italian. However, in the 1920s, there was a very large community of Jewish gangsters, Roth being one of them, and he was a real man who really did get involved in the fixing of the World Series, which is a key part of the first season. It goes a bit into the second season as well. So you've got real people doing real things that we have historical records for. They are doing their homework in this TV show. The other thing they do, particularly, look, I'm not going to be giving you lots of spoilers here. This is one of these things where I absolutely, if you are 18 years or older, I encourage you to watch it. Adult content, lots and lots of adult content in this one. There are times when you really do have to look away from the screen for many different reasons. I, I digress. We're talking about the 1920s. Everything is age appropriate. And linked to that is they don't dodge the hard conversations. There is a gentleman whose actual name is Albert White. Everybody calls him Chalky White. And he's a black man. And I think you can tell with that name. It's clearly a nickname. It's clearly racial. It's not meant as a compliment. And what he is, is basically running the black community. He is involved in this illegal activity of alcohol sales and production during the period of Prohibition. I'll come on to exactly what Prohibition is, and I'll start talking about American amendments of the Constitution, because everybody loves constitutional history. So he, he obviously is a black man in the 1920s, which is not good opening of season two, you literally have three clansmen use a machine gun to attack one of his stills, one of the places where he's producing alcohol. And he manages to shoot one of the white clansmen. And then he has a conversation with Nucky Thompson about how quite rightly he wants revenge. And Nucky is turning around and saying, you can't have revenge against the white community because then more people will come and you will lose. And, and so therefore it shows you how racist America 
was then, I'm not saying it isn't now, but it shows you it's a whole other level in the 1920s. Racial slurs are used all the time, not just against black people, but against Jewish people, Italians as well, Irish as well. So there's this kind of equal opportunities racism going on. It's very much tied to the immigrant experience as well. It's just a multi-layered thing. If you just want to watch it for a rip-roaring gangster drama, that's there. This is basically what this podcast is trying to do. Whether you like it or not, while you're watching this pop culture, it drips bits of history into your eyeballs, whether you like it or not, which I absolutely love. There's a scene, for example, during Memorial Day. Now, I had to look this up because they were wearing... They seem to be pretty cool. They, they were on a beach and they're out in the open. It's like November in Atlantic City would be really cold. Why did I make that sound? If you're an American going, well, American Memorial Day isn't November. That's because in Britain, Armistice Day, the day we commemorate the war dead, tries to be the Sunday closest to the 11th of November because you may remember that on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, that's when you get the armistice, the ceasefire at the end of World War One that turns into a peace. Maybe the war's over. Maybe it's peace. So in Britain, at least, we always tried, and largely Europe, we always tried to do the 11th of November. Memorial Day in America is actually at the end of May. It moves around a little bit. I think it's the last Friday. Might, might be wrong on that. It's, it's towards the end of May and it moves around dates, etc. For a while, they tried to stick it on the 30th of May. But yeah, you get the idea. May, beach, Atlantic City. Yeah, I can understand where everybody's out and about. Obviously, 11th of November, not such a good idea. But in that scene, you see Americans wearing poppies, red poppies, which means something immediately to me as a Brit. But I then had to do the research because I was thinking, well, do, do Americans still wear the poppies? And not really, is the simple answer. Not saying they've disappeared completely, but if you're an American listener, what you need to know is round about that Armistice Day in November in Britain, for probably two, three weeks beforehand, you have something called the Royal British Legion, which basically sells these little poppies. Now, you, you could buy an actual badge or pin, an enamel one, but what everybody knows is getting the cardboard ones with a little plastic stalk on it, which you pin onto your jacket or something like that, and it always makes a hole and so on and so forth. But the point is, you, you might put in a pound or two, and the money goes as a fund for war veterans. 50 years ago, that would have been to help veterans from the world wars, but nowadays, most of those people have passed away, so now it's veterans of other wars that have happened sab sadly since. And what I didn't realize was this wearing of a poppy. That Where does the poppy come from? Because they, they seem to be, wild poppies seem to be growing in the no man's land and around the trenches of World War I. And so it became an interesting symbol. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on road. And obviously the blood red color doesn't make it hard to associate and commemorate with the bloodshed of that incredibly bitter, nasty war, that it was actually America that first came up with the idea of having a badge poppy as a symbol, which in the 1920s was as popular in America as it was in Britain. But over the years, it's kind of got subsumed. Other things have happened in America. Whereas in Britain, I'm going to say we are now a hundred years on from the period shown in Boardwalk Empire. We're a hundred years on from that, and yet still the poppy is hugely popular in Britain. I'm aware there are other poppies as well. I think it's 
green for animals. It's definitely white for conscientious objectors or people who just want to commemorate peace rather than war. And I'm not going to get into the middle of all that stuff. But yeah, the, the red poppy in Britain isn't particularly controversial and is very widespread, utilized round about Armistice Day in November. So there you go. That's just one bit of history that is linked to the show. It's, it's amazing how it's all just sort of seeping out there. But if you like the key thing, which I was already aware of, but they very much sort of pointed out at the, in the beginning, is how we are aware that for a while in America, they banned alcohol. And I knew that it was linked, in America at least, with the kind of suffragette women's right to vote type movement. And what I didn't realize I had to do the research is because, quite frankly, what well, we all know that women prior to the prior to sort of equal rights and everything else were even more vulnerable than women are today. But at home, where they were in essence property of their husbands, men would sometimes drink away the family's money. So there was no food money. Instead, it was all booze money. And also, sadly, domestic violence as well. So these women who wanted rights could quite easily draw a dotted line and go, do you know what else would help women? Is if we just made alcohol illegal. Because there were huge swathes of America in prior to, the, to it being formally recognized and amended in the Constitution that didn't have alcohol. I've been to dry counties in America. Now, personally, I don't drink anyway doesn't affect me. But it's kind of weird from a European perspective to see alcohol as outright evil. I mean, particularly in somewhere like France, kids will be drinking relatively young. They might have a slightly diluted wine with their food because it's not seen as something you just get blotto on. It's something that enhances the meal. Whereas in America, it's very much seen as booze is used to just forget your woes. And a bar is seedier in America than it would be in, again, France or, you know, in Germany, where it's all sort of like friendly beer houses and things like that. So, yeah, it's really interesting how, and you know, alcohol, sadly, it, it can cause problems in any country in the world. But it was particularly noticed in America at the turn of the 20th century. So with that in mind... Let's actually talk about the various different amendments to the Constitution. For those people who talk about how the American Constitution is a perfect document, it is worth pointing out there have been literally dozens of amendments, some of them just a matter of years after America became independent as they realized, oh yeah, we need to change some stuff in this. So whereas, let's say the American Constitution is an excellent place to start, it is an, a living document that still gets changed over the eras. So we have the 18th Amendment, also known as the Volstead Act, that comes into play. I'm not going to go through constitutional changes in America. I guess very dry very quickly. But if we change the Constitution, then we could make all sorts of crazy laws. Now you're catching on. But it involves not only ratification in the House, but then you have to get all the states to vote on it as well. So it always takes time for one of these amendments to kick in and become actual US law. But it became the 18th Amendment, also known as the Volstead Act, became law at the beginning of 1920, which banned the production and sale of 
alcohol. Technically didn't ban the consumption of alcohol. I've had this conversation with a number of people going, well, that's a bit stupid, isn't it? Well, it's a bit like some of these drugs and narcotics in Britain right now. They're, they're illegal, but some of them have medicinal uses. So there has to be a case where if somebody is taking, let's say, morphine because you are undergoing extreme cancer therapy, it can't be illegal for you to use the drug, but obviously it's a very limited drug that has to make sure that you can't, shouldn't be able to just buy it over the counter. And so that's where we get the difference between the creation and selling and distribution. That would all be wrong without it being gov governmentally covered as opposed to the consumption. So in theory, if you burst in on somebody drinking in 1923, they themselves aren't doing anything wrong, but the person who sold them the booze would be. So you get all these speakeasies. Well, what's that mean? The speakeasy is basically a private club. Fat Sam, Grand Slam, speakeasy. Where invariably they'll be selling beer under the counter kind of thing. But because they were illegal and they sort of shouldn't really be there in the first place, unsurprisingly, other rules broke down. This is where the black music of jazz became influential to white musicians and the white population because the quite often the segregation of the races, which was a big deal in the 1920s, broke down at these speakeasies. So weirdly, this illegal place was perhaps one of the most egalitarian places that you would find in your local area. Amazing. That's the 18th Amendment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
The 19th Amendment is when women get the vote. Hurrah! So they managed to ban the booze before women get the right to vote. Okay, fine. So nice to see they got the priorities in order. Also, women got the right to vote in America after women got the right to vote in pretty much most of Europe. So yeah, America isn't quite as star-spangled awesome as it likes to think it is sometimes. So that's the 19th Amendment. Then we get the 20th Amendment, and that is a very technical dry one about exactly when presidential terms finish. So it's now written into law as to how far presidents and vice presidents, and if they lose elections and so on and so forth, that's all done in the mid-1920s. And then we get the 21st Amendment, which finally becomes law in 1933, and that repeals the 18th Amendment. It makes alcohol a legally consumable liquid again in America. So because the 21st Amendment nullifies the 18th Amendment, the little quirk, the little fact is the 18th Amendment is the only one to actually be rescinded, be struck off that list of amendments. So it's the only one. All the other ones are still there. There's now over 30. So for about 12 years in America, alcohol was banned. And that led to a gap in the market. If you like, it's a microcosm of the drugs war that we face in the 21st century. The argument being, look, people will still consume this stuff. If you make it illegal, it just makes the people who sell it illegal criminals. And it's going to put violence on the streets. Certainly was the case in the 1920s, it might be a little bit more complicated with the international drugs trade of the 21st century. Not going there. Sorry. In the 1920s, one of the key ways that you could... This is one of the insane things. So, alcohol is illegal in America. One of the longest, friendliest borders in the world is the American-Canadian border. And New York and Chicago are very, very close to the Canadian border. And in Canada, you can order as much booze as you want. So yeah, let's let's do that. Let, let's ship it over from Canada. Then Mexico as well. Not illegal there. Let's get the tequila up and so on. So I mean, look, it is worth pointing out all alcohol, beer was illegal. It's just beer is so cheap, it wasn't worth shipping. So it tended to be the spirits, your brandies, your whiskies and things like that. I was about to say vodka, but vodka wasn't really popular in America in the 1920s. The other thing, of course, was you could ship it over the Atlantic from Ireland or Britain. And yeah, that happened too. It's just, it was a lot longer to to go, but there was already international shipping happening at that time in the 1920s. And indeed in the show, and I said I'd come back to this again, Nucky Thompson in the show, as opposed to the real man is Catholic. His background is Irish. He's going out with this Irish woman, which gets him into some of the people who are fighting for Irish independence, which indeed was a real thing for centuries, but particularly at the end of World War One up until 1921. This is a complicated conversation. I'm aware that I am a Brit saying this. I said in my very first book, The Busy Person's Guide to British History, which amuses me that till 10 years on still sells few copies every now and then. I see it sort of like flash up on, on Amazon. It's like, huh, okay, fine, good. Thank, thank you very much for the support. It's a fun look at everything in British history from the Stone Age, genuinely the Stone Age, 
all the way through to the end of World War II, and I figure that's where I'm going to stop. I pause, I spend more time on the stuff that you probably don't know a lot of, like Henry III, King Henry III, he lasted for about 50 years, and I skim past other people like Henry VIII, because we all know that he's had six wives, and he separated from the Catholic Church and things like that. One of the things I point out is that the oldest and closest colony to England is Ireland. And yet, ironically, even though it's full of white people, it is the one that England consistently treated the worst. People may complain about something like the Amritsar massacre in India, which was terrible and abhorrent, but actually massacres as a whole in colonial imperial history, from the British Empire's perspective, they happened. They didn't happen nearly as often as other empires. Ask the French, ask the Belgians, ask the Russians, ask, well, you know, the, the Mongols, etc. Japan, other countries. It seems to me that when you have an empire, some, some local civilian population at some point is going to get massacred. And that is terrible and awful and one of the reasons why people shouldn't have empires. But by and large, the British Empire wasn't known for that level of violence, except in Ireland. And the point I make in the book is, if you have a British passport, if every single British person traveling into the Republic of Ireland had to apologize every time they traveled into Ireland, that probably wouldn't be unreasonable. We are talking about 700 years of oppression in one form or another. But now that I've said all that, and indeed in the 1920s, you'd think, well, you know, Jim, you're talking about stuff that happened 500 years ago. No, I'm talking about you know, just after World War One, an armoured car driving into a football field and just firing off its heavy machine gun into the crowd. Disgusting. Burning areas of cork because there'd been hijacking and assassination of British security forces in the area. This is the kind of stuff you'd expect, quite frankly, the Germans to be doing in World War Two. The paramilitary British forces were referred to as the Black and Tans because they had a mixture of military and, and non-military clothing and equipment. Basically, they were all veterans from World War One. So you're sending in battle-hardened men used to fighting a war into a civilian population where you're dealing with an insurgency. That isn't going to go very well. Flip side of that is if you can't fight a conventional war, you're going to fight an insurgency, or one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. And so there are a number of assassinations, ambushes, and sort of general nasty behavior to the British forces there, and some British politicians too. The only problem I have is all the atrocities that are mentioned in the show Boardwalk Empire all really happened, but it's all one way. It makes out that the Irish are nothing but victims. Tomorrow we will celebrate our patron saint, the beloved St. Patrick. He would drove the snakes out of Ireland. Today I submit for your approval that he should have drove the English out. And that everything the British did was terrible and awful. Now, I think you could argue that pretty much everything the British did was terrible and awful, but the Irish weren't exactly, their hands weren't clean either. This was a dirty war any way you want to cut it. Back to the famous upra Easter Uprising of 1916, it is worth pointing out that what happened was there was an Irishman who had won huge accolades highlighting the inequalities and brutal regime of the Belgians in the Congo, 
a guy called Casement, Roger Casement. My wife wrote a, an actual essay on him, impassioned, talking about how he was gay and he was Irish and he was very much put upon by the British public classes and he was basically set up so that he could ultimately be found guilty and executed. Sort of true, but um, almost immediately after she wrote that, the uh, official documents came, were finally released, were no longer secret, and it turned out actually he was guilty. Now, whether or not somebody should be executed for trying to sort of keep their country their own country that's another story but during the middle of world war one he negotiated with german forces during world war one while there were thousands of irishmen fighting on the front lines for the british and doing so bravely he got a german submarine u-boat to go over to ireland full of german weaponry to be given to the freedom fighters in ireland in the middle of a world war that doesn't look good if somebody wants to accuse you of being a traitor kind of hard not to see it that way. The Easter uh, Uprising of 1916 failed. It was basically they were trying to fight a small battle against an army that was fighting very large battles. It didn't work, but the British response was so brutal, it hardened the resolve. People started saying, well, you know, they're not the good guys. Why are they running our country? So this is all very cleverly alluded to in, and you know, it's a little bit part of, the story of Boardwalk Empire. And, and you know, again, you, you, this is this, this is what I love about it. It's like you know, you see bits and go, "Did that really happen?" Then you look into it, go, "Oh wow, yeah, that really did happen." Okay, they they they've done their research. Thank you very much. However, I'm now coming to the best bit. My favourite character in all of fiction is Richard Harrow. Richard Harrow is played by Jack Houston. Actually, what I haven't done, what I've realized is so far I've been saying how great this is. I have not been giving the dues to all these actors. So Steve Buscemi, he's the one who plays Nucky Thompson. Kelly MacDonald is the one who plays the love of his life, Margaret. And I mentioned Chalky White, this very powerful black figure in all of this, who is fictional, by the way. That's played by Michael Kenneth Williams, who sadly passed away in 2021. One of the other people who I won't mention the actor's name, but one of the key characters, Nucky Thompson kind of has almost like a surrogate son who fought in World War One. He's an adult and he's kind of damaged goods and he's sort of an innocent. The war clearly changed him. And now that he's back, he wants to get involved in, in Nucky's more nefarious roles. And his name is Jimmy, is the name of the character. And Jimmy befriends this other war veteran called Richard Harrow, played by Jack Houston. However, what I wanted to just briefly say is behind the scenes, this is an amazing show. Jimmy the reason why I really haven't really mentioned him is he's clearly, at the beginning of all this, he's the way that we sort of get into this story. He's almost like the viewer as he sort of explains how this is all going to be. And he's clearly a key, key character. And therefore, the one spoiler I'm going to give you is that he dies. He dies in the second season. I'm not going to say any more than that. But my wife and I, when we watched it the first time round, the reason why I'm doing this is because my wife said, we, we should really watch that again. It's sort of like... Okay, let's let's do that. And if you like, this is the the problem. And I said I'd come on to this. This is the problem, and I will eventually get back to Richard Harrow. By the way, I know I've several jumps here, but we'll get there. This is the problem with modern day TV. There's so much good stuff on, and it's also spread out and into all these different areas. That by the time you sit there and go, oh, you know, 
What do I watch tonight? I'm kind of at the end of that thing. Oh, yeah, there's The Witcher Season 2 on Netflix. Let's watch that. Oh, I hear good things about Ted Lasso on, on Apple and, and so on and so forth. It could be Mayor of Easttown or whatever. You know, there's always something on. And therefore, there are these amazing solid gold series that are only sort of five, six, seven years old, you know, which millions were spent on them. And yet we kind of don't talk about them anymore because, oh, hang on, um, there's The Morning Show on Apple TV. That, that's, a, that's another one which I've heard good things. Oh, maybe I should give that one a go. So, yeah, so we tend to forget things like Boardwalk Empire. Something like Breaking Bad still gets mentioned, but are you watching Breaking Bad again? I don't know. Maybe you have never seen The Boys on Amazon Prime and you fancy something like that. There's so much stuff out there. Quick, Judy, what's your decision? Okay. The other thing about it is the director and the sort of co-creator of the series is Martin Scorsese. So, of course, you're definitely going to be doing a gangster thing with him at the sort of the helm of it all. He didn't actually sort of write and direct all of them, but he did direct the first of the pilot episode, which someone like Steve Buscemi would have been a, a dream to play a gangster in a Scorsese thing. That's the problem with modern day TV. There's just too much good stuff. Can you possibly keep up with it? And how many of these things are you going to subscribe to as well? I mean, Disney Plus started off as that's the one your kids watch. But hey, Dope Six, a really good drama about the opioid crisis in America. That's very much not for children, by the way. So how many of these things are you going to subscribe to? Again, but Boardwalk Empire is the sort of thing you could literally buy on Amazon, you know, the whole pack of DVDs and you could watch it all. And yeah, it might cost you 40 pounds or something like that. But wow, that's going to be money well spent would be my argument. So Jimmy is, if you like, the engine. Look, I still got a future. We, we both do. The war, Nuck. The things I did over there. You live in a trench for months on end. Nucky may be kind of the title character almost, but Jimmy is definitely the number two. So to have him die, it's like, wow, that was an incredibly brave thing. But it turned out it was through necessity. Because the actor, while he is amazing, now that I will tell you this piece of information, you'll sit there and go, no, really? The answer is yes. He was abysmal on set. He would forget his lines. He would turn up late. He basically acted like he didn't care. This was his big break. This was his chance to work with Martin Scorsese, for heaven's sakes. This was his chance to be in a major TV show, which was lauded with lots of awards. And how did he treat everybody with utter contempt? He was unprofessional. And so by the second season, the idea was to keep Jimmy in it for a really long time. But by the second season, it's sort of like he is not getting any better at this. He is being rude and troublesome and this is costing us money you know he doesn't know his lines we got a whole bunch of people in an antique hall or something like that which we've only rented for the day this is costing us money and you see the same faces appear again and again you might sit there going well they're good but are they like robert de niro good and the answer is it's because they're good enough and also they're a pleasure to work with. And like anything in life, if, if you are conscientious at your job, if you make the people around you, their lives easier, you will get business. It's a good piece of life advice that clearly that particular actor didn't take. And so, yeah, <laughs> they got rid of him because they were fed up with him. But he befriends this guy called Richard Harrow. James Darwin. Richard Harrow. Nice to meet you. And as I said, my favorite fictional character of all time, be it book, movie, TV, Gandalf, I love, but you can go to hell compared to Richard Harrow. Be silent. 
Keep your full tongue behind your teeth. Why does Jem like him so much? Because he is just so complex. He was a sniper in World War One, and he got badly wounded. He was shot in the face. And so he now has the left-hand side of his face covered with an almost lifelike mask. He wears a pair of glasses, and it's the glasses that keep this sort of cheek and eye attached to his face. You can see, creeping out the side of it, other scars. And yes, there are a couple of scenes where you remove it, and you can see he has no eye in the socket. His nose is on that side is mangled. It's, his cheek has been blown out. He's been hit by a heavy caliber bullet, and he will always look like that. And the great thing about him is the the actor, as I, I said, Jack Houston, he is a good looking chap. There must be a part of him going, I'm being hired to not look good looking. And he, he kind of talks like this. Then they'll tell us if we're normal or not. Because his throat's been damaged and he kind of talks out the side of his mouth. And there are times when somebody offers him something to eat or drink and he needs a straw to be able to consume it or he has to chop it up into very fine pieces. You feel utterly sorry for this man and yet he is a highly capable highly dangerous individual we, there are the lots of characters out there where they're like the, the cool gunslinger but they're the cool gunslinger and that's it there's nothing else to him whereas richard harrow is both dangerous and you've never felt so sorry for a man in all your life watching you just want to give him a hug he is trying so desperately to reach out with the rest of humanity but knows that his horrific disfiguring scars revolt other individuals there's a whole episode where he's looking after margaret kelly mcdonald who is nucky's worried about a threat to the family so he brings in the best guy he knows richard to do it and at one point he takes the mask off and he's sleeping and the kids get scared and upset by it and she starts shouting at him i'm sorry it's not comfortable to sleep with and you just you know you know why the mother's doing that because you know that was an unnecessary moment where the kid's upset and they're gonna have to spend forever trying to calm them down but she comes to term with it and even apologizes to him again you know there are times when it's like what would you do in this situation richard and he would name the type of gun name the position and explain how he would assassinate somebody in totally cold blood so yeah there's that element but he also wants to be loved and he talks in a very pragmatic way and he constantly has his head down. I was going to say he doesn't tend to do eye contact, but of course, one of his eyes doesn't even exist. But he diminishes himself. He feels second class. It is a remarkable performance. And I think you can tell I absolutely love this character. But one of the things it does show you, again, bit of history, is in his case, what they've done is they've covered it up with a prosthetic which is exactly what they did in World War One. But World War One was also the first war where they started doing plastic surgery because there were so many soldiers being so badly disfigured by modern weaponry. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't the first war with a machine gun or hydraulic artillery or aircraft even. It was the first war with, uh, with tanks though. But all these things combined, in their hundreds if not thousands, meant that the sheer mutilation, not just death rate, but mutilation and survival of servicemen, meant that something had to be done about this. And I read this amazing book about plastic. Plastic surgery started 
in World War One, and what they would do, particularly with the people who had parts of their face blown out. In theory, Richard could do this, except, of course, they, they can't replace the eye. What they would do is they take a flap of skin from low, quite often the thigh and apply it over the face and sort of stitch it in. But the problem is, if you imagine cutting out a rectangle of skin on your thigh, it's dead at that point. It has to be linked to the capillary. So what they would do is they would cut half of it off and then stitch it onto their arm. I know this sounds insane. And then once the capillaries had fused onto the arm, they then cut it off from the thigh, and then they cut that other, the bit that's just been cut off the thigh, they would then attach it to their face. So for a while, these men were walking around with flaps of skin going from their forearm onto their face. And these kind of semi-tube-like structures make them almost look like elephants. And these men were kept together, and they were encouraged to play sport because they realized that not only did they have physical scars, they had psychological scars too. This completely blows out the water, the idea of how uncaring the, the, the services were in World War I. And then eventually, once the, everything had fused to their face, they'd cut it off from the forearm and they'd do the bottom part of it onto their face. And then they could manipulate it around and, and cover it all up and rebuild a jaw and things like that. And is it perfect? No, it isn't. You would look at them and go, oh, they're a bit disfigured. But as opposed to somebody who literally has no lower jaw, if you're wondering about bones, they would again sort of like take things like ribs. They're a bit easier to do weirdly, but they need to be covered up with some kind of skin. So this is a time when they, you know, bearing in mind, this is this is just before, it's a generation before we get antibiotics. But this kind of high level surgery, reconstructive surgery started in World War One, and yet it continues to this day. It is remarkable. But somebody like Richard, I guess they figured because he was going to cover up his eye, there's no point doing the rest of it. But what it means is that we have just a truly unique character. And if there's only one reason, you know, so you're sitting there going, eh, gangsters one way or the other, mm, whatever. It's like, no, if you want to see a character, he's not in episode one. He comes in about halfway through series one and he's there for series. He has lots to do. He's just a remarkable, a remarkably well-written man. I, they, the great thing about it is almost all the characters are extremely well-written and extremely well-acted. Even Jimmy is well-written and well-acted. You know, they do eventually get a good performance out of him, but just behind the scenes, I don't know, they're hitting him with a stick or something? That That's made up, by the way. I'm not implying that anybody was physically beaten. I really hope you like that. There are just so... I've only scratched the surface. There are so many other great characters in it. It's a really fascinating show. You know, sometimes they use analogies. There's this female aviator who's sort of flying across America. She's not real, but there is so much other stuff going on in the back, passing references to certain things. Like, you know, they get the dates of when... Warren Harding and who Warren Harding was up against to become the the candidate for the Republican Party in the in the election. You know, they get that right. There's so many different things. Last thing I'll say, because I've said I'd mention ancient Egypt, the opening of season three, everybody's talking about Egypt and it's like, why? And the answer is it's New Year's Eve 1923. So we're on December 31st, 1922. Well, we had Howard Carter finding Tutankhamun's remains, and more importantly, treasure, in November of 1922. So just a month or so later, it's the hot topic. Everybody's Egypt mad. It's exactly accurate to what people were thinking about and talking about at that time. 
that's the level of detail, but it's never boring. Nobody ever suddenly turns it into a lecture. It might be just a passing comment in a conversation about what's actually driving the plot. So bravo to everybody involved in that remarkable show. And I really hope you check it out. As always, that's me, and I'll hopefully speak to you soon. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.